Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm bringing you the second part of a message titled, The Roots and Fruits of the New Apostolic Reformation. Here's Bob DeWay. Here's some of William Branham's heirs. He had a personal angel. He claimed he was the angel to the Laodicean church. And he's buried under a pyramid that says this. It has the church ages, has William Branham, angel to the Laodicean church, under a pyramid. You can find pictures of it on the internet. The whole restoration scenario, this, by the way, they say the church lost all these things. See, Acts had apostles and miracles, and they walked on, Jesus walked on water, and, they, and all these things happened. They raised the dead. So he says it was all lost. They lost tongues, they lost prophecy, they lost apostles, they lost the prophets. It all went away. And then God is going to restore all those things at the end. And and so they have this restoration scenario. He taught that. He claimed that he was the Elijah that Jesus predicted in Matthew 17. Absolutely. William Branham was Elijah who would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he would come before the Perusia. But he died in 1965 in a car crash and so that claim has been proven false by history. He gained secret information about people and was reported to be completely accurate, and he rejected the Trinity. Now let me bring us forward now. So that was 1948. The latter rain movement kind of fizzled out because it got a lot of bad uh, reputation, false teaching, the anti-Trinitarian, the assemblies turned against it, and so they really kind of went underground. But they didn't go away. There were the healing evangelists that were associated with the movement that kept going, um, like Oral Roberts. There was this Ern Baxter who ministered with Branham, and he he became one of the key leaders of the charismatic renewal and served as a bridge all the way from the latter reign to the the new order of the latter reign to the shepherding movement. And he he lived to be quite old and was still around as the current apostles and prophets movement was getting under, getting ahead of steam. The latter reign and shepherding movements were both discredited. Do you remember, some of you were old enough, remember shepherding back in the 70s? They had a pyramid style. Uh, and so some guy at the top hears from God, then there's guys under him, and he tells them what to do. And then they have people under them, and they tell them what to do. And it trickles all the way down to the average person. And they, what they told you that you had to do included anything in life. Who to marry, what car to buy, or whether to buy a car, what job to take. Because they were hearing from God. So he had a trickle-down spirituality. And then some of us bumpkins were down at the bottom of the pyramid. And all we could do, and I was in it. I was in it in the 70s, to my shame. I should have I known better, but I was in it. And I... You just thought the only way you can please God is do whatever the shepherd above you tells you to do. I wrote about this in one of my recent articles. And I, I don't mind admitting when I've been in error because I think God should be glorified for being gracious enough to get me out of it as well. Okay, I wasn't born with a, a silver spoon in my mouth or silver theology either. I had a hard time coming to the truth because I was motivated to try to find some ideal Christianity. You know the thing that leads more people astray than anything else is this idea that there's some better Christian out there. And if you just learn a secret, you could be that. I wrote about that too. I, I call that pietism. 
So the shepherding movement was discredited because it left wreckage and carnage of people's lives behind. The charismatic movement became the ground for these various elitist movements. They, the charismatic movement started on the idea that you could reach people in mainline denominational churches like Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, or whatever by telling people that they could receive the Holy Spirit. All right? And so they had some version of Pentecostalism that came, but part of the problem with the charismatic movement, and I know some of you may be in it, but I'm just trying to be as objective, I was in it, was that they never came with a good solid theology to start with that was articulated. Most of them came from liberal churches that weren't theologically grounded anyhow. And the people who became the leaders of the charismatic movement were whoever was the most articulate and handsome or whatever quality they had to make people admire them. And their, the theological doors were wide open, so just about anything could come in or come out of the movement. And I know because I was in it and I actually heard some of the top leaders speak. So let's keep moving forward here. There was a man born in 1934 who's ultimately going to be the bridge from the new order of the latter reign to the new apostolic reformation of C. Peter Wagner. His name is Bill Hammond. Now, here's what he says about himself in his book, Apostles and Prophets in the Coming Moves of God. At the age of 18, I was birthed in the restoration teaching that there are still present days apostles and prophets in the church. I was ordained and started pastoring when I was 19. So what was this restoration movement about apostles and prophets in the early 50s that he was birthed in? The new order of the latter reign. Warnock and the others. Branham, Warnock, and the others. So Hammond, at age of 19, is already one of these preachers of this latter-day apostles and prophets and the great moves of God, and so on and so on. So he began his ministry after Warnock, right after Warnock published the Feast of Tabernacles. Bill Hammond teaches the church must be perfected before Jesus can return. Have we heard this before? There's another guy that taught it by the name of Earl Polk in the 80s. He had a book called Held in the Heavens Until. And he taught that the church is the incarnation of God. And he was claiming such elite status, you cannot believe it, until he was discredited by a series of sexual scandals that are still in the news today. And I want to, I'll let me comment on this. I think we did this on the radio. Here's something I've observed in my 30-some years of being in the ministry. When people make grandiose claims about how elite they are, like, Paul, I'm the incarnation of God, What's he claiming? He's the Christ. All right? Generally, they don't even have as good of morals as your average guy down the street that doesn't even claim to be a Christian. Paul was caught up in scandals that I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody that's done some of the stuff that he did in the name of God. You don't, you don't achieve sanctification by claiming some exalted status for yourself. I'm going to preach on this tomorrow morning. We get sanctification... By, by God's means, and God is sanctifying sinners, not Christ incarnate on the earth today. So Warnock, uh, um, like, like Warnock, Hammond allegorized Haggai 2, 
saying that the, remember that says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former? Any of you around, did you ever hear these sermons on this? I did. I heard this preached. And so the latter house is going to be the church at the end of the age. The former is going to be the book of Acts. But as an allegorization, it's actually about the temple. Hammond describes the beginning of the Apostolic Reformation at a C. Peter Wagner convention at Fuller in 1996. Here's what he says, quote, There is an emerging apostolic movement that will revolutionize the 21st century church. So here is Hammond teaming up with C. Peter Wagner, a respected professor at Fuller Seminary, who was in charge of their school of missions back then, and two of them, and plus a whole bunch of other people around the world, are going to resurrect the latter rain movement, only call it something else. They first called it the post-denominational movement, and then that only lasted a couple of years, and it became the apostolic movement, and then the new apostolic reformation. Here's what, uh, and C. Peter Wagner endorses Hammond's book. He wrote the preface to it and endorses the teachings that you find in Hammond's book. And here's what Hammond says. Quote, the earth and all of the creation are waiting, are waiting for the manifestation of God's last day apostles and prophet and fully restored church. And he cites Romans 8, 19. This is the manifested sons. That's the same doctrine that they had in the new order of the latter rain that was discredited. That people were actually going to achieve immortality now. And C. Peter Wagner, Fuller Seminary, distinguished professor, is endorsing this? Where is he? He was around when, when the first movement hit the rocks. When the church is fully restored, then the saints will receive their final redemption the immortalization of their mortal bodies. Jesus is still held in the heavens. Hammond on page 22. The resurrection translation of the saints that brings about the redemption of their mortal bodies into immortal, indestructible bodies will take place so that God can fulfill his greater purpose for and through his church. Now what we're going to see now, so we need to receive our immortal bodies now. Why? Because in his version, the church is going to defeat Antichrist and, and harlot Babylon, not God. I'm not making this up. Okay, this is mind-boggling, but I know people that are still in this movement. And it's, it's a very, very damaging thing to the people who get into it. They had a doctrine that came around in the 80s. I first started hearing this in the 80s called the new breed of man. Now, I don't know if this is based on uh, the serpent seed doctrine that Hammond taught. It was another uh, bizarre doctrine. But it's an awful lot like Jane Lee and an awful lot like Warnock. The idea is that the church becomes impregnated and gives birth to a new breed of man. And is impregnated by the Holy Ghost church that gives birth will bring forth what he calls a Joshua generation. Here's what he said. The new breed of Joshua generation apostles will move in the miraculous and definitely manifest the signs of the apostle. Then he says this, Let it suffice to say here that the new breed of apostles will be motivated by the spirit of wisdom, which is an allusion to Isaiah 11, 2, which speaks of Christ. The church becomes Christ. The church becomes the incarnation. In 1994, at CI's, that's one of his ministries, 
annual, whatever, EGOP, international something, conference, I accepted God's commissioning as one of his new breed of restored last day's apostles. So Bill Hammond is a new breed of last day apostles. How does he know? Because they told him he was. I did an article on this for Christian Worldview Network called, uh, it was based on a little joke that a farmer told me. And a friend of mine's dad actually told me the joke. He said, yeah, I, I have a $1,500 dog. And we said, a $1,500 dog? How do you know that? He said, well, I traded it to the neighbor for two $1,500 cats. <laughs> All right, so they, they're both happy. Now, the, and I'm not being facetious. This is how it really happens. How do you know you're an apostle? Some prophets told me. How do you know you're a prophet? Some apostles told me. So we have conventions and we name each other apostles and prophets because there's no biblical guidelines for how you get new apostles and prophets because the Bible didn't anticipate that we'd have new apostles and prophets. So that's why there's no guidelines. It's just for elders. So they're a new breed. They're apostles and they have great power greater than anybody in the book of Acts ever had. Now there's going to be an Elijah company, an Elijah company. But again, from this Hammond, but there is still a future fulfillment when Elijah will come to prepare the way for Christ's second coming. Now remember, Branham claimed that was him. Branham said the angel told him he was Elijah that comes. Branham dies in a car wreck in 1965. So now what's the claim? Well, they've changed it. There's going to be an Elijah company. This entire restored apostolic church is going to have the Elijah role at the end of the age. This time, it would not be just one prophet, but a great company of prophets that would not only prepare the way and make ready a people, but they would restore all things. Elijah comes and restores all things. So they are going to restore everything as a great Elijah company that lives on the earth in these last days. Here's what he says. Jesus could not leave earth until he had fulfilled all messianic prophecies, and he cannot come back to earth until the church fulfills all restoration scriptures. So the church has to get about the business. You know, I was, when, the reason I made this PowerPoint presentation in this lecture was that I had a trip to Barbados. The, the, the spiritual warfare teachers and the New Order of the Latter Reign or the New Apostolic Reformation have come to Barbados and a, and a ministry down there says our churches are being ravaged by these doctrines. Please come and help us develop a strategy to fight this. And they, they asked so nicely, I couldn't say no. I just, uh, I, I love these, these brothers that I met down in um, Barbados. So we, we got down there and this teachings are, are just ravaging their church. And as I was speaking to them, their people were coming up and asking me about it because they've heard this and they've been under these teachings. And I said to these people in Barbados, you know, they keep making these claims. I've been hearing them my whole lifetime that we're going to have greater miracles and all of these things but they don't seem to care that it never happens. What are the miracles they're doing? Leg lengthening and slaying people under the power. Some of you have been around for that? 
Well, you're not going to admit it, are you? <laughs> and that's about it. And so I said to the people in Barbados, and we were staying at a resort right on the, on the ocean there with a balcony, I said, you know, if, if these people could do what they say they could do, I think you'd see it. So far, I've seen sailboats and jet skis, but I haven't seen somebody walking out there yet. They're not doing it. They're not raising the dead. They're not emptying the hospitals. They're not walking on water. They're not doing greater miracles than Jesus. It's just non-existent. It's fiction. It's just fiction. It's not happening. But they're undaunted that it's going to happen any day now. And some of these people in the movement will have spent 30, 40, 50, 60 years in the same movement hearing the same things, and they still won't believe it's never going to happen. They won't listen to somebody say, you know, this is all a bill of goods. It's not going to happen. They won't believe it. They'll go to their dying bed believing that these Latter-day Apostles and prophets speak for God and that they're going to do greater miracles than Jesus. He, Jesus, cannot come back. You notice how all of these people from Jane Lead to Warnock to Hammond are telling Jesus that he, doesn't, he can't come back? You think that's a little brass? Brash, can you, can you tell Jesus, no, you can't come back. I'm looking out here, this church doesn't look good enough. You can't come. You don't want us. I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The church isn't holding Jesus in the heavens by lack of progress. Quoting again, God's holy church, apostles and prophets, have a co-laboring ministry of bringing about the mighty fall of Babylon the Great. Think about that. They're going to bring, this is talking, they believe in literal prophecy as far as the great tribulation, but they got it all messed up. If you, if you read Revelation, if you believe it in literal prophecy, what happens in Revelation? Isn't God pouring out bowls of wrath on the earth? Isn't God destroying Babylon the Great? They say, no, that's not God's role. He's held in the heavens. We are going to do it ourselves. And it's going to be called Joel's army. Okay. Uh, their authority will be beyond anything we have seen in our day, like Moses and Elijah. God's apostles and prophets will, be, will prevail over all their enemies until the end. So these guys are like Moses and Elijah. We saw them this morning, didn't we? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And they went away, and Jesus was there, and Jesus was the one who speaks for God, not these guys. Joel's army. The saints are being trained, says Hammond, now in their military bases of international training centers. Ah. I don't know where those are, and I hope there's none here. <laughs> and their local church armories. I'm not making this up. The local church armory. I think I trust the National Guard more than I do these guys. The goal is to have them taught, equipped, and field trained to be the officers that lead God's army of prophetic evangelist saints during the coming saints movement. Wow! More movements than I've ever imagined. They will minister under the covering and the leadership of the fivefold apostolic and prophetic generals who train them. These saints will function like God's army, prophetically described by Joel. Joel 2, 1 through 11, allegorized. Take away the allegorical method of biblical interpretation and you take away this entire movement. 
They have no literal way of interpreting a Bible to support these teachings. And maybe this is foreign to most of you, but in the, this is a huge movement. It's a very, very huge movement. I don't know if C. Peter Wagner is right or wrong, but he has access to all this data because of his missiology over at Fuller, and he's always studying missions all around the world. And, and Wagner claims this is the fastest growing movement in the entire church. This. Around, he's talking about all the way around the world. It's been rampantly spread in South America. And uh, the Barbados has it coming there, as I found out. Let's have a little more of this. Joel's army. God's great end-time army is being prepared to execute God's written judgments with Christ's victory and divine judgment decrees that have already been established in heaven. The time is set when they will be administered and executed on earth through God's saintly army. This is the army of the Lord movement. So all of these things you read about in Revelation, we're going to execute. This is not about preaching the gospel. He says this, Matthew 24, 14 must have more meaning than preaching the gospel of salvation. The proclamation of the kingdom of God, the dominion of King Jesus over everything, including all the earth, will be demonstrated as a witness to all the nations of the world. The kingdom establishing movement will cause this to happen. The movement will not cease until all knees bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus is the true Lord. Again, the church establishes the kingdom now. This is dominion theology. The church is going to rule over the entire world and force everybody to submit, according to this teaching. It's not about preaching the gospel of salvation. However, says Hammond, there will be such a worldwide demonstration of God's power over the elements, people raised from the dead, miraculous control over natural catastrophes, miraculous prophetic words, endless spiritual manifestations, signs, and wonders, until everyone will have to acknowledge that there's no God like Jesus Christ. Have you been seeing these things? It doesn't even happen. It doesn't happen. It's not happening. It's fiction. Here's some problems with the theology of the New Apostolic Reformation. The Bible teaches delusion and apostasy at the end of the age, not a super church. We shouldn't talk like this about ourselves ever, that how, how great we are. We should always remember that we're sinners saved by grace. We don't have great power. We do serve a powerful God. And we're not great. He is. And we're unworthy, but he has chosen us for himself. And I'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll talk about seven benefits of gospel preaching to the church. And we'll talk about some issues concerning sanctification. I think that'll help us very much. But this sort of talk has no power to sanctify anybody. It tends to lead to sin. And the reason they have so many scandals is that they're not circumspect. In other words, if you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, and that you're capable of failing God at any time, you be careful where you go, what you look at, and what you do. Because you know that your tendency is to sin, and we need grace, grace, and more grace, right? But when you're thinking, I'm God's end-time birth, new order of the greatest Christians that ever were, and the incarnate virgin-born Christ on earth, 
You think you can do no wrong. It's all I can understand why they fall into sin. The entire theology is based on allegorized scripture. You take away the allegory, you take away the whole doctrine. If the Bible means what it says, this movement is false. The latter rain teaching exalts man, takes glory from Christ by attacking his uniqueness. It's an attack against the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. It's an elitist teaching, as is obvious. The teachings of the Latter-day Apostles do not have the same qualities of those of the biblical apostles and cannot be binding. There's a number of people I know that have researched this, one being Oral Steinkamp, my dear friend, and uh, we have a couple people in our church who have researched this movement quite extensively. And what what we're saying here is that consistently the leaders that have arisen in this apostolic movement have very bad doctrine and are unable to even preach a, a gospel sermon that has the gospel in it. One of the local apostles here in the Twin Cities had preached a sermon, a series of sermons that I got to listen to. And he had the gospel totally wrong. It was man-centered teaching. It was a teaching that if the church would become what the church is supposed to be, then everybody will come into our church because they'll wonder, because they'll see how great we are. So the message ends up being, look at us, how great we are, not proclaiming who Christ is. So I wrote a letter to the person who did this teaching, the local apostle, and I offered to buy him lunch to sit down to discuss our common salvation and what the terms of the gospel actually are, because I thought he could maybe help that church if he gave them some hope. Because self really doesn't give you hope. Trying to be a better Christian doesn't give you hope. Because we, so I don't know if i trying to be a better Christian. I need hope from Jesus himself who forgave my sins. The man refused to even have lunch with me to discuss the gospel. And not long after that, one of the prophets in the move, movement was cursing me. If you even question these apostles and prophets, they are shameless enough to actually curse you and pronounce the opposite of a blessing. Because they really believe that they are, like they claim here, God's representatives on earth. So anything you do that they don't approve of, they say you're attacking Christ himself. So you can't correct them. They say, don't touch God's anointed. We can't, we're God's anointed. You can't touch us. You can't disagree with us. You can't correct us. You can't warn anybody about us. All you can do is submit to us. And if you don't, you are in trouble with God. That's how it works. I know firsthand, been there and seen it and been the brunt of it. What's the Bible say is going to happen? End times delusion, not the glorious church that's the incarnation of Christ on earth. Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Here's just some snippets out of there. You can look it all up in your Bibles. In the last days, men will be boastful, arrogant, treacherous, holding to a form of religion, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That's exactly what we see in our day. 2 Timothy 3.8, about false signs and wonders. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, these men will oppose the truth. They'll use signs and wonders to oppose the truth of the gospel. Why? Because they would rather proclaim themselves than proclaim the means by which people can know they're right with God. See, if they preach the gospel to you, they can be offering you the free gift of salvation that if you turn to Jesus Christ, he's going to cleanse your sins. 
he's going to have you in his hand and not let anybody snatch you out of there, and that he's ultimately going to conform you to the image of Christ. Once you have all that, you don't need them. You don't need what they're, they're offering. You don't need it at all. So they're not all going to offer the gospel because then you wouldn't need them. 2 Peter 2.1, there will be false teachers among you, secretly introducing heresies. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. It doesn't say it won't come unless the glorious end times, Joel's army, Elijah company, uh, Joshua generation, manifested sons of God come. Yeah, I said that pretty fast, didn't I, for this late in the day? No, what's coming is apostasy, and we're seeing the beginnings of it. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. 1 John 2, 18, children, it's the last hour, and just as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen from this, we know that it's the last hour. True apostles were appointed by the resurrected Lord. And they had to have seen him. Acts one twenty two. the apostle should be a witness of his resurrection. That's what Clement of Rome said as well. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul said, Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 1 Corinthians 15.5-8, he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve, to five hundred brethren, to James, all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me. Oral Steinkamp taught about that last November in our adult Sunday school class. Seeing the resurrected Christ was a necessary requirement because you had to have been appointed directly by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. Now what does that do? We're saved. There can't be any more. If Christ is held in the heavens, as he said, which that's true, he's still in the heavens, he will return, but he's not here on earth appointing apostles, so therefore only Christ can appoint an apostle. We don't have apostles. Back to Ephesians 2.20. says here, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built is the aorist passive participle. Once at a point of time in the past. It's not future. Ephesians 3.4-6. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the biblical apostles were gospel-centric. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we have apostles running all over the world, and that's the last thing they are interested in teaching on. I can't, I'm not exaggerating. I know what this movement's all about. I know what makes it tick. I know some of the principal characters in it. And they don't exhibit any kind of excitement about proclaiming this message that the true apostles made. And he gave some as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of Man to a mature man to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What this means is that throughout church history, the true apostles and prophets, the ones that give us the Bible, are the foundation 
are the foundation, and we are proclaiming this message of the gospel, and God is using it to build up his church. Members are added. People are entering into the kingdom by being translated from the kingdom and authority of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Colossians 1. And the church is, being grow, is growing and being built up, built up as God converts people. Progressive sanctification is true for all Christians. We don't attain to this. This is where we end up when Christ gathers us together to himself. That's when we get our glorified bodies. That's when we become like Jesus. That's when we have the perfect man altogether, the whole church. Not just some people at the end of church history, but the entire church. Because of the way these guys have it figured out, Paul and the others don't even participate in being the glorious church. Because it has to happen just to a few people at the end of the age. Jude 1 and verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But this is what is happening. They're grumblers finding fault, following their own lusts. Jude 1, 16 to 18, they speak arrogantly. When I was in Barbados, I said to the dear Christians down there, having been around this for a long time, I'll tell you this. This Apostles and Prophets movement, there's no claim so grandiose they won't make it. If they could dream of a claim more grandiose than the ones they already made, they'd make that claim. But I don't. how can you be more grandiose than you yourself uh, going to defeat the harlot Babylon? So it says they speak arrogantly, flattering the people. What do they say? Oh, don't be an ordinary Christian. You can be an end times Joel's army Christian. They're flattering the people for the sake of gaining an advantage. What they end up with people that are dependent on them. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom? They were spoken by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were spoken beforehand. He didn't say, now, beloved, you await for Joel's army, and those apostles will speak to you. You're supposed to listen to the real apostles, the ones in the Bible, beforehand. And they were saying to you, in the last days there shall be mockers following their own ungodly lusts. Dear beloved brothers and sisters, the last days are here. The mockers are here. And the arrogant ones are here. So today we've talked about some movements that claim to teach how we can hear from God. My claim is very simple. You hear from God from the scriptures. Let's close this day in prayer here. Heavenly Father, thank you for the dear ones who came to listen and to ponder these things. And I pray that they would search the scriptures to see if these, what I'm saying is true, whether it's biblical or not, and only believe what's true and biblical. And Lord, we live in perilous times, and there are so many movements out there vying for the attention of the Christian church. And may we be only wanting to listen to your apostles and prophets who spoke beforehand warning us about these things. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you for joining us today.
All right, you've been listening to part two of the message, The Roots and Fruits of the New Apostolic Reformation. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to remind you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus and Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.